waiting for that. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank. I'm delighted to say I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts Alex and James. Uh, Alex, it's a bit rubbish supporting sales sometimes, isn't it? It's dreadful, as I said multiple times on Friday night. Um, yeah, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's 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 a burden we all have to bear, but here we are. Um, you know, maybe one day it'll all be worth it. James, pleasure as always to have you on the podcast. Uh, in the run-up to Friday's game, Steve Diamond talked about how uh, our plan was to just run through the opposition. Didn't really feel like we did much of that on Friday, did it? No, there's a few sort of brick walls lying around. Made it, you know, uh, quite difficult. Um, and some... Uh, yeah, some pretty shoddy play, which, to be fair, Diamond couldn't have banked on. But, uh, you know, why would we have it easy and just get a home semi-final when we can go back down into the pack and fight it out for top four or even top six? I mean, come on, we don't want it easy, do we? We're sale fans. If we wanted it easy, we're going to support someone else. 100%. So, obviously, return to Premiership Rugby last weekend, sale, opening game, go down to the stoop, get turned over 16 points to 10 by Harlequins. Pretty poor performance all round, but as you can note from the inflections in our voices so far this week, probably not the end of the world. We get a losing bonus point away at Quinns. Uh, it keeps us, you know, well and truly within the top four. Uh, it's a bonus point that could come in very handy going down the line. And, and also, I guess the feeling is is more one of disappointment given uh, all the hype that we'd uh, given Sale the week before. Yeah, I mean, we said before we started recording, didn't we, this one's entirely our fault for hyping ourselves up too much. Um, so if, you, if you're looking for someone to blame, um, probably us. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think this the frustration, the frustration with sale, and you know, the reason that we're probably a bit more optimistic about it now is because when you're watching it, you think, oh, if that pass went to hand, or you know, if if we could just not make the really basic mistakes that we make halfway through play, we'd be a brilliant team. We'd be so good. And when they're making those mistakes, it's so frustrating. But then you look back and you go, well, we have got a really good defensive structure and actually we have got a good attacking structure. So, you know, the pieces are all there for a really good team. And it's just that that sort of, you know, 2%, 5%, whatever it is, of being clinical. It's what Exeter have got and it's what we genuinely don't have. And I think that's why when people watch us, they go, you know, especially when, like, people like us who watch us on repeat, that's why we're probably not title-winning credentials yet because, we, you know, you get down to that, that pressure point and those key plays, and more often than not, we will make mistakes rather than execute well. But on the other hand, you know, as I say, there's a defensive structure there which is really good. There is an attacking structure there which clearly works. So there's definitely signs that we can be good enough. It's just so frustrating to watch us mess up opportunities in games that you know we think we should win absolutely so so james uh, a disappointing result for sale obviously uh you know how how loud are the alarm bells in your head though based on kind of what we know about this team uh this at uh, this part of the season well, I do think that, you know, a bit of time to digest a result is actually what we've needed. Because when you take a step back, there's a few things that were glaring us in the face that I don't think Sale fans generally had really acknowledged. Uh, partly because of the hype coming out of the club, etc. 
Um, the first one is the loss of Rob Webber and Bryn Evans. We've said it on this pod how big that's going to be. But on Twitter, I think you know a few of our few of our listeners may be a bit too dismissive of that. You know, you don't. That is a that is a combination that worked. Um, you know, there's a question mark whether you could put anyone with Acker and it would work. But in any case, Lude has literally had one game playing for us. He's now calling our line outs. So I thought that was that's difficult. And uh, you know, I just I just wonder whether we'll we'll rush Beaumont back to to run our line out and hope that that fixes things. The other thing is that you know we've got centre partnership without the uh, the James brothers or uh, you know uh, Van Rensburg, and we've got two brand new players who've literally been training together for a few weeks. So can we really be expecting them to click? And then finally, you know, we've got a halfback partnership which has never really fired together for whatever reason, and we've talked about it a lot on this pod. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more today. Um, the, the 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 clerk and um, Rob Dupree, uh, rather than the Cliff uh, uh, McGinty being in the mix, you know, we've always talked about that maybe Cliff's better for Rob Dupree. Rob Dupree get, gets that freedom to to run the game, and uh, actually, the clerk's better for McGinty because the clerk takes the pressure off McGinty in terms of you know creating things. Um, so maybe we there's a few selection things there that maybe they, the coach didn't get right. But otherwise, we're asking a lot of players who've had a long period out away from home where we've only won once in, you know, uh, over a decade, like 14 years or something. So maybe it was to be expected. And when you play that badly to come away with a losing bonus, could have been a lot worse, couldn't it? Uh, yeah, well, that's exactly it. So let's, uh, let's go around the horn a little bit and kind of diagnose why kind of sale fell to that defeat on uh, on Friday night. Um, I think it's, you know, no, no disrespect to Quinns, I thought they were the better team, um, but it does feel like it's a game that Sale lost uh, more than uh, more than Harlequins won, or at least uh, we didn't really have to make Harlequins try very hard to win. So, James, you, you mentioned a, a couple of, uh, you know, selection choices there. Um, what kind of stands out to you, then, is, is the key reason why Sale lost uh, on, on Friday night? Well, you... Diamond says it a lot. Rugby is a simple game, right? You've got to get your set piece sorted and you've got to be able to go through the phases well uh, and not give away penalties. And unfortunately, we messed up all those three things. So to stay within six points and still nearly nick it at the end was a fantastic achievement. You know, we got pinged off the park. We didn't adapt to the new uh, interpretations at the breakdown well enough. Um, And our set piece, especially a line out, you know, it's back to the same old issues that we had earlier on in the uh, in the season. So I think it's very difficult to build any momentum within the game when it was stop start as much as it is. And what about yourself then, Alex? So where do where do you kind of sit on on kind of the reason why Sale sort of fell apart a little bit at the stoop? Um, I think mostly our mistakes. You know, we missed two kicks at goal that would have got us a draw. We kicked the ball from our own try line for a cross field kick that ended up leading to a Quinn's try when we could have cleared it and, and been safe. Um, I think, I totally agree with James, we didn't adapt to the ref. I think there were some calls in there that were very dodgy. Sam Hill getting pulled into a rook and then being pinged for line on the wrong side is one of the most amazing things we've ever seen. Um, you know, there was a combination of us not adapting to the ref, but the ref also being pretty poor, I thought. Um 
But all that said, we still could have won the game and we just made too many mistakes. And that's that's kind of the, the one encouraging thing you've got to take away from it is, as James said, you know, we conceded lots of penalties, we made lots of mistakes, we didn't look fluent and we still got 10 points on the board and got a losing bonus point. And our defence is so good that 10 points gets us a losing bonus point. So, you know, this is entirely within us. I think that point about the halfback combination is so, so true that De Klerk and De Priya just don't look good together. Cliff and De Priya do, and De Klerk and McGinty do. And given we've got to rotate anyway, you would think that we would now take that on board. The attraction of De Klerk and De Priya is that they're the two, probably the two best players in their position going into this restart. Um, you know, there's an argument made for Will Cliff, but De Klerk is the World Cup winning superstar. And that team selection does look very like here is our strongest 15 players. And what it probably isn't, looking back, is our strongest 15 as a team. Um, so I think there's an element of team selection in it, um, you know, trusting combinations that have already worked. Um, there's an element of us being rubbish at the start of any season. I know it's not the start of the season, but it is in effect. And just not looking at the pace that other teams are at. Um, and those those mistakes that we made... I think are the crucial bit and they will be fixed because Dimes will fix them. The players will fix them and the coaching staff will fix them. So that's where the encouragement has to come from. But it, I think, you know, there is a wider concern here that we are never ready for the first game of the season ever. And somehow, you know, we've got to stop these slow starts. We start slowing games. We start slowing seasons. How do we change that? Um, but yeah, Friday night mistakes, um, poor team selection and getting on the wrong side of a ref who I thought was quite harsh to us um, to put, well, on Friday night, that would have been putting it mildly, but looking back, just mildly harsh to us. Well, it's an interesting interesting perspective, especially on, on the referee, because you did see this, this new interpretation of the breakdown laws, which I think, in theory, is, is going to help the, the health of the game and as a spectacle in the long term. But it was interesting that we really struggled to adapt in the first half. And actually, one thing I wanted to put to you two that I've been kind of ruminating on over the weekend is actually uh, how much of an impact Tom Curry had on, on Friday night because that sort of first 30, 35 minutes, I thought you saw the best of him. You know, wins a couple of turnovers. He also then concedes another couple of penalties. And I think a lot will be made of the choices of Hill and Tulangi in the centres, the halfback partnership. We'll talk about those shortly. But I actually thought one of the areas we really struggled um, on, on Friday, surprising, was, was the back row in that uh, it wasn't a game uh, that was built for kind of the uh, the hard yard carrying of, of the Dan Priers and the, the John O'Rosses. Uh, what we sort of missed out on is uh, yeah, having another dependable line-out option at the back, which is amazing given how many we actually do have in the back row. But also someone who can actually hit rooks uh, along with Tom Curry. Because as soon as the uh, as soon as the referee started to ping, you know, Curry a couple of times, we lost a lot of our impetus at the breakdown because we didn't have anyone who could go over uh, the ball without there being a fear of a penalty. And uh, I do want to talk about the halfbacks, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to put that out, idea out there that actually, uh, you know, maybe in games like this, we have to start looking at the players around, um, even in the ever presence in the team, uh, because I thought. Actually, you know, on reflection, you know, Rob Dupree had a terrible game. De Klerk had a very poor game. But I actually thought we could say the same about John O'Ross and Dan Dupree, who I thought 
really struggled to give Tom Curry much support, uh, especially when we were under the cosh in the first half. James, what do you think about that? Well, it's, it's difficult to be harsh on Dan Dupree because he's just he's just been so brilliant. But I mean, that was his poorest his game for uh, for sale. Um, and and I did the head to head last week of Rob Shaw and uh, Ross, and I thought Rob Shaw had a really good game, really good nuts and bolts game. He was up for it. He wants to go out um, from Quinns on on a high. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, we were carrying a few luxury players there, aren't we? You know, and and we talked about this before. I think we also missed the likes of Harrison and Weber over the ball as well, because it's not just a back row thing. It's an everyone thing. And I, I think that we're missing other players that can do that around the park. So, look, uh, we did get beaten up front, which was a bit of a surprise to the system. We didn't get smashed, though. Um, and, I, and I wonder whether it's an intensity thing. Going back to Alex's point about starting or restarting seasons, I think it's a relevant point in this scenario Diamond makes a big thing of having lower injury counts than other clubs. And he puts that down to the way they train, which is a much lighter training regime, not much contact at all. But when you've been away from the game for so long and, you know, your conditioning during lockdown maybe is more difficult to control, then I just think, you know, on this restart situation, in any starting of any seasons, we just seem to be off the intensity. Once we get almost like match fit, intensity-wise, then the lighter training regime really does well for us. And we seem to go into games a little bit fresher. We last well and we, we finish reasonably well. But I just think it was the intensity more than anything. And we've obviously got the physical attributes. So I, I don't know what that was about. But the battle about the breakdown is often a battle of less of skill sometimes, which obviously Tom Curry has, you know, and more of just mindset, isn't it? It's just that mindset of getting up off the floor, hitting the next rook, hitting the next rook. And and I think that that's just that in level of intensity that we'll, I'm sure we'll see over the next two or three games. You, you've set me up really neatly there because the next thing I wanted to talk about was actually about intensity and mindset and all the rest of it. And Alex, you know, you look at performance like like that, and there's something that the BT Sport commentators talked about. You, a long layoff, you know, you've got you know poor conditions. You've got got to get the uh, the you know the team up for it. You know, should there be questions being asked about kind of um, the tactical dexterity of someone like John O'Ross as the captain of the team? Because I think we can all agree Ross has been an absolutely fantastic signing. He's been probably sales most consistent player since he since he joined. But on nights like Friday, you do kind of look at the impact he has or, or maybe doesn't have. Uh, and you look at that in tandem with how we're playing. And you think Ross is obviously a great leader. He's someone you can follow into the trenches. You know, the going gets tough. He's, he's there hitting every tackle, hitting every rook, etc. But what I noticed watching the game on Friday was that actually we just seemed to be outthought a little bit. The intensity wasn't there. And actually, when our game plan wasn't working, especially in that first 20 minutes, we almost doubled down on it rather than trying to change our approach. And that does make me wonder, do we have to look at the impact that the on-field leaders are, are playing as well as the, the approach off the field in the run-up to the game? Yeah, I think it's a good point. We always do seem to struggle to adapt in a game, play a different game plan. Um, but I think, you know, the point about John O'Ross is, yes, that's probably not his greatest strength. But I would also say that, you know, for, for what you get out of him, you still want him on the field. And we have supposedly got a big senior leadership group. And I think, you know, that's maybe where we miss someone like Sam James or AJ McGinty. 
because they are both really senior players in the squad who have probably got slightly more of that kind of wide lens view of the game. Um, and, you know, that's where you want someone like Faf to be stepping up, but Faf's been out of the team for, you know, realistically quite a long time. So, you know, someone like Manu is probably brilliant at that, but he's brand new to the club. So I, I do think, you know, yes, it's a good point that Jono maybe isn't that tactical, you know, as flexible and probably not quite as canny as Rob Shaw is. And it kind of gets highlighted when you have this one-on-one with Rob Shaw. But at the same time, what Jono brings, you still want on the field. So then you're looking for your other leaders in the team to kind of deliver that that more f- tactically flexible side. And that's it's a completely valid point. We definitely missed it on Friday night and we just kept running at walls and running at walls. And it's one of those where when half-time comes, you kind of go, thank God, because someone will get into them at half-time and tell them this. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is an issue we have, but I don't think the solution is not having Jono. I think the solution is getting the senior leadership team in and having that flexibility within that, that sort of group. And that's, you know, the biggest kind of um, reason for not just picking your 15 best players because, you know, there are those players there that maybe aren't in your best 15 but do offer you that kind of alternative view and probably that flexibility to change within the game. Well, let's talk about that sort of tactical flexibility thing because you, you mentioned AJ McGinty who, uh, you know, supposedly is a big part of that leadership group. And, and James, I guess the, the question for you is kind of, Knowing what we know about De Klerk and Dupree as a partnership, which completely unraveled on on Friday night, I think is fair to say. You know what you know. What, what do you think the solution is? Do you look at putting Cliff in? Uh, uh, do you put Luxdie? Do you look at putting Cliff in at nine with keeping Dupree at ten, given how he's got the chains moving and McGinn's coming back from injury, or do you look at it the other way uh, and and say, well, actually, you know, we keep De Klerk in as our talisman, but we need to get McGinty in based on the the well the, the horror show Dupree had uh, on Friday night. Well, look, it's all easy to say with hindsight, but I think it's even more difficult to make the decision now than it was before, and that might surprise a few people. Let me explain. Rob Dupria is a confidence player. If you drop him after one game, you know, bearing in mind that the games are coming thick and fast, then he's going to have to play half of them. You know, you, you, at least you know with McGinty's injury injury record. So even if you're splitting the team later on, you know, Rob Dupria has got to go play half the games. Dropping him now could break him, and it does make me genuinely worried. Um, and is De Klerk actually droppable at all? I mean, because, I mean, he's not been brilliant since the World Cup, but that was his worst game that I can think of in a sale jersey. He was awful. Um, and so was Rob, who made some diff- weird decisions. So my instinct says, right, um, you bring Cliff and McGinty in, and that's what a lot of people will want. But then you're not picking the people with the best people again, are you? So it all depends whether the clerk is droppable and how much you care about Rob Dupree's confidence. Because if you really care about that, then you bring Cliff in for in for the clerk, um, and that's the only change. You keep McGinty on the bench. McGinty plays with the clerk on uh, Tuesday um, in the game on Tuesday. So because uh, they've got to think about that now, because they've literally got two games in like three days. Mm-hmm. So you you what you you know what you're picking really on Friday night isn't going to be playing on Tuesday. So that might give him a little bit of flexibility uh, where it's not dropping Rob either because he's in on the team sheet for Tuesday, but we'll see. 
So very quickly then, as we keep talking about the the, the Quinns game, uh, obviously the players outside that halfback partnership, Sam Hill and Manu Tuolangi. Uh, Alex, a lot of fanfare around Tuolangi, obviously. Um, what did you make of his debut uh, as a as a shark? Do you know, this is probably a controversial one, but I I thought he had a really good game given the nonsense that was going on inside him. You know, like people were kind of giving a lot of criticism to Hill and Tuilangi, but the fact is the ball didn't really get past them. It, you know, it didn't get. You know, we got to Debrea, and then we probably made a mistake. Um, so I think it was a solid start from them both. I think they're both quality players, um, especially given you know this is their first time as a centre pairing, and they're outside a half-back partnership who just didn't click. Um, I, I think they they both looked to me to be in good shape. They are really good players. You know, there's certainly they didn't make the impacts that probably people wanted. But if you're expecting that, you you really put in a hell of a lot of pressure on two players who um, I think you know are going to do great things for the club. So for me, I I was you know I was quite impressed. I thought the our, our only try. They both had a pretty crucial part in that. You know, the the lines that we were running, that was the only time the back line clicked all night, wasn't it? Um, so genuinely, I was I was quite impressed. It was really exciting to see Manu in sales shirt. I really like Sam Hill as a player, and I think that any sort of criticism of them um, is quite unfair given what they were playing, you know, the, the, given the half-back partnership they were playing outside who just weren't clicking and therefore the whole game sort of seemed to falter for me. You know, other people might will well have different opinions and, and want Tuilangi to run over everyone. Um, but it's just, you know, you've got to give them a platform, you've got to give them good ball and you've got to give them that structure inside of them for them to operate in. The, no player is good enough to make an impact in that game in in the way that fans are expecting Manu to for me, and then, you know at the professional level it just doesn't happen. Defenses are too well organised. You have to manipulate the space and put them into it, and then they will make a difference. So that's you know you know for me, I think both really good players had decent games. Certainly didn't make any glaring errors, um, and hopefully take a bit of confidence into next week, knowing that with a solid half-back partnership inside of them, they could really, really perform well. I think I'd be very inclined to agree with that kind of perspective on, on Tua Lange's debut. Um, James, before we go on to the, the stat segment, uh, which makes a welcome return, um, were there any players from from either side that you kind of thought caught the eye? I've got one one from, from each team. I thought even in a losing effort, Byron McGuigan looked pretty good. Uh, he you know, did very well to keep that, that ball in on, on his own five-metre line. He did some good kicks uh, and obviously did very well to, to sort of score sales only try on the night. Um, and then from, from a Queen's perspective, uh, Martin uh, Ladajo uh, was absolutely fantastic and, and kind of gave Quinn's the uh, combination of control and sort of peskiness and, and sort of uh, now that we really could have done with from de Klerk, given a, it was a very wet night uh, on uh, on Friday down in London. So two players for me who I thought really stood out, but I mean, yeah, special, special praise, especially to the, uh, the, the Quinn's scrum half, who I thought was a deserved man of the match. Yeah, I mean, I put I pointed him out in the preview last week. I mean, he's a fabulous player, many many caps at international level, uh, and he was the best player on the pitch. Um, on the sales side, I mean, all I'd do is give a bit of credit to Cliff and McGinty 
You know, I thought, you know, it was a bit hectic, a bit all over the show, a bit disorganized. They brought a bit more structure. But I don't think you can really pick out many players on the sales side. We just didn't get going. Fair enough. Okay, well, <laughs> I was hoping there'd be at least one or two, but never mind. Uh, so, Alex, let's uh, let, let's take a look at the, the numbers from from Friday's game and see if uh, we can we can remedy James's pretty bleak take on sales performance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know me, some good, some bad. Uh, yeah, stats are back. So, uh, a quick fire stats section in line with our new quick fire pod. Uh, so, a quick thank you to Ben and everyone at Opta. Uh, so let's get into it. So yeah, you know what? Actually, not too bad a statistical week. Um, when I was looking at it, I was expecting it to be horrendous, but it wasn't, which is probably why I was a bit more optimistic coming into the pod. Um, we'll start with the negatives, just get them out of the way. Discipline, awful. 17 penalties conceded to Quinns' 12. Um, but as we mentioned, on the wrong side of the ref in the key areas, so of those 17, eight were at the breakdown and five were at the scrum. So that's 13 of them, um, which, you know, tells you all you need to know, really. We just didn't, you know, we didn't, we weren't on the right side at scrum and we did not get the breakdown laws. Um, so that's really noticeable, especially because they were two areas of pretty uh, relative strength for us, pretty locked down. So that is, you know, there's probably quite a big swing there. Uh, the other key poor start was kicks. Rob Capria kicking at 33%, which basically cost us the draw, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, there's other positives to come out of it, I think. Um, we talked about the line-out and loss of Evans and Weber, but we actually had a return of 15 out of 17 won, which, to be to be fair, is not too shabby at all, especially when you consider where Acker was at the start of this season. Um, yeah, now, very good. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, I take all that back. That's, that's excellent statistic. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's not as good as Quinn's. Quinn's are 18 out of 19, so it is all relative. But I do think, you know, when you look at how Acker was throwing initially and given it's a new combo, it's a, it's a hell of a, you know, improvement from where we probably would have been if this had been the start of the season in September. Um, so 10 of those went to Lou Diaga and the remainder were split between the Debris twins and John O'Ross. And that just shows how kind of important Diaga is. And without him, we, we genuinely would be in probably some quite deep trouble. Um, Defensively, pretty solid. 91% tackle success rate, um, 77 out of 85 tackles. Um, Quinn's made, we're at 92%, 96 out of 104, so relatively similar. Um, but as a general rule team, we're, you know, there's some serious performances in there. John O'Ross, 10 out of 10. Tom Curry, 13 out of 14. Um, and no individual player had a tackle success rate less than 67%, which is pretty impressive. And they're all like two out of three. So, you know, positions where you're not getting that much sort of action, so to speak. Um, that's a pretty good positive, and I've said about how good we are defensively. Attacking-wise, pretty dire this week. Um, we averaged 2.7 metres per carry, so we made 68 carries um, to Quinn's 56, but we only made 181 metres to their 235, so they made 4.2 metres per carry. Um we just didn't, you know, no one really made any metres. Quinn's had the top three metre makers. In the top five, our only representative was Rob Dupria, who made 37 metres. Um, Johnny made 26. He made 13 carries, which is the top carries in the game. And we did have three of the top five carriers with Lude and Manu uh, being up there as well. So it's sort of a story of 
we made a load of effort because we made more carries than Quinns, but we just didn't get anywhere because we didn't make anywhere near as many metres as them. Um, so certainly one for Paul Deacon to be looking at next week. And I think part of that probably comes down to accuracy and putting people in the right space rather than just giving people a defensive line to run at. Um, so in summary, total of the tape, 55% possession for sale, 53% territory, a massive opportunity missed through pretty rusty attacking structures and poor discipline. But then again, defence wins leagues, so maybe all hope isn't lost. What were the carries and metres made for Tuilangi, just out of interest? Uh, he made six carries in the game with 19 metres made, so an average of 3.2 metres per carry, which is pretty impressive given none of them came from kick return. Um, mm. So, you know, he, he genuinely did seem to kind of, you know, 3.2 metres is getting you over the game line, so that's above our average for the game. <laughs> Not saying much, admittedly, I suppose. Another brilliant stats segment. Glad to have it back. So, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, we're, uh, the games are coming thick and fast, and that obviously so will the podcast. So we're, we're kind of uh, expediting everything a little bit at the moment, uh, which is why the pod is a little bit shorter than usual. So to that end, uh, James, uh, despite a, a pretty disappointing loss on Friday, so they've got to pick themselves up because we have uh, Exeter at home. Uh, coming up on at six o'clock on Friday night, uh, and uh, I'm hoping uh, you'll have a, a rapid fire preview for us as well. Yeah, just uh, an easy game, just to get back in the flow of things, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, extra they they were excellent. Um, they won twenty six thirteen against Leicester at the weekend. Uh, they are, have got one day less rest than us if we're looking for a little bit of hope. But I would say that you know they have a more resilient and. Um, more built-in rotation policy, which they've been using now for many, many seasons. And I think we'll see them fresh. Um, this is obviously the first of two games in quick fire for both teams. Two away games for Exeter. The next one for them is on Tuesday at Bristol. I think that's relevant just because I wonder if they might prioritise that Southwest Derby on Tuesday in terms of how they rotate their squads. Um, so that's another thing that gives us a little bit of hope. Um, looking at their squad, it's tweaks rather than mass change in personnel, as always. Out goes Nick White, who's been so brilliant for them at Scrum Off. Enrique Pioretto, who's gone to Glasgow. Sam Hill, obviously, to us. Matt Kvesic's gone back to home to Worcester. And Greg Holmes has gone back home to Australia. They've extended Phil Dolman and uh, Steenson until the end of this season, just to see it out. Uh, and coming in, they've got Johnny Gray, which I think, I mean, if there's a signing that epitomises, you know, the team that Exeter already are, it's Johnny Gray. He's an absolute workhorse. They've brought in Aaron Hinckley, who's an open side. He can play blind side as well from Gloucester. I think that that's a very clever Kvesic replacement. And I, I, it'd be great to see um, him on the pitch on Friday night. Josh Hodge. Um, very highly thought of fullback coming down from the Falcons. I think he's going to be quite special. Facundo Cordero, brother of Santiago. Let's see if he's got the same amount of ability as Santiago. And Sam Hildogo Klein, who has been brought in really for a bit of experience at Scrum Half with Nick White having head up, headed off. But if we think that that's an area of weakness, it really isn't. They've got Jack and Sam Maunder who were outstanding in age grades and have been in and around the England squad, and Stu Townsend, who also has been in and around the England squad. And having seen how Luke Cowan-Dickey played at the weekend, he really was fantastic. And whether it's him or club captain Jack Yindel, Acker is going to have a real job on his hands, not least because 
um, in terms of defending lineouts, Exeter really throw up, whether it's it's uh, Kirsten or Sam Skinner or Johnny Hill. They really throw them up there as attacking options. So that's really going to test our, our line out. Um, and we also need to make sure that we control field position, which strengthens shouts to start McGinty at least, and probably Sam James as well if he is back, because Exeter score 80% plus of their tries for within five metres. So what we don't want to be doing is playing in our half of the pitch. And what another thing we don't want to be doing is giving away 19 penalties because they always kick to the corner even if the penalty is right in front of the post. That's how confident they are, that even if they don't get over with the initial drive, that the phase after phase play, they will eventually get over. So Sale are going to need to fix their problems quickly, otherwise they're going to be exploited even more than Quinns did this weekend. So, you know, they'll batter us physically through the Vermulins, the Ewers, the Armands, the Cowan Dickies, and then use the Sam, the Joe Simmons and the Henry Slades to unlock us and send through the likes of Noel, Aflaherty, Woodburn, Short and Hog through. So we've really got to get our act together. Right, how are we going to do that, lads? I mean, you, you're listing the names off and you, you are kind of overawed by the challenge that Chiefs face, but we've beaten them once before uh, and this season as well, obviously. So uh, for me, I think obviously you kind of have to draw a line under the Quinns game, obviously. Uh, and we have to be very careful with, with the selection choices we make because I think there there is uh, a uh, suggestion that we should, you know, drastically sort of uh, move things around based on what we saw on Friday. And I think that's fair, but it's about sort of refining the wheel rather than reinventing it. So I would agree that we maybe look at playing De Klerk and McGinty or Cliff and Dupria rather than swapping both the halfbacks out. Um, depending on what happens with uh, Sam James, I would look at maybe bringing him in for uh, probably Sam Hill. Um, but apart from that, I think the forward pack almost picks itself at this point. Um, it's just a case of uh, yeah changing our structure a little bit. Uh, and obviously just kind of keep honing what we were doing. Like, I think we were really un- undermined by how poor the weather was on Friday. It didn't allow us to play much of our game. If things are a little bit different on Friday, I think even against a sterner test, we should be able to play a little bit more loose, and I think that'll be a big help in unlocking the likes of Tuolangi and Diaga. Um, but I think we have to go with very careful changes and not ignore the fact that we have wasps four days later which in the scheme of things you look at our next three games exeter at home bristol uh, ex, uh wasps away and then bristol at home we need to win two out of those three and if we lose at home to exeter yes it's disappointing but if it means that we can beat wasps on tuesday and bristol the following friday that's probably a trade-off i make what do you reckon alex yeah, I take your point. I think you know. Um, I think the the half back point is a good one. Good one. I would I would have Cliff and Dupree. Um I think you know they played they were playing together before lockdown really well. Um, so that's potentially the way you do it, and then go to the clerk and McGinty for the next game. Um, you, you know, we are we are good enough to compete with Exeter. We just didn't show it on Friday. Um, so, yeah, I think Sam James coming back in is a massive one for me. Where he goes, I don't know, because I do think that Hill and Tuolangi don't neither deserve to be dropped. Um, but Sam James is obviously kind of quite integral to our whole game plan. Um, and then, yeah, I would bring in Cliff of Dick Lurk personally or, you know, 
the other option is to have to collect McGinty, but personally I'd go Cliff and Debrea. I think in the pack we we genuinely, you know, that pack is able to compete with Exeter. Um I think keep Acker and Ludin if we can just to kind of build that relationship a bit more. Um and then, you know, the back row is is probably an area that we need to have a think about. Curry, Curry, Ross didn't actually look too bad when we got to that stage. But then, you know, we are back at home. And I think, you know, it, it might just, it's not a, nowhere near as much of an impact as playing in front of a crowd. But I do think we will still have a mentality of we're back at home. So that makes a difference. Um, so I think minimal changes for this one. Um, but certainly some important ones in terms of the halfback pairings, Sam James coming back in and maybe looking at the balance of that back row. Um, but, as you rightly say, there's another game coming up three, four days later, so we have to be ready to have a virtually different 15 coming in for that game. Um, you know, it's not feasible to have guys playing both of those games and doing 60, 80 minutes in them both. Um, so, yeah, I think, as you say, minimal changes. And I do think we can compete, but we just have to you know, stop making such basic mistakes. It's not a it's not a hard solution, is it? You know, don't kick the ball away on your own try line when the ref's about to call advantage over, which in fairness I thought he would at least wait until it bounced, but you know, that's I'll let it go. <laughs> is Rensberg back? Or is he banned for another one? I think he's got another one. Mm. Yeah. yeah that, that it did happen a- during lockdown, didn't it? So I think he might have another one to go because I think it's two. Because the danger here is that we start chopping and changing. Because if you see if you're going to with uh, Sam James at thirteen, like who is he going to play with when the games start coming thick and fast? You'd think Van Rensburg, right? But if he's not available, what do you do? Do you play Tulagi? But if Tulagi's going to play midweek, so therefore do you put Luke James in at twelve? But then we're lacking ball carriers, so. Uh, it's it's a re- it's a really difficult how we're going to manage this squad all the way through, and I think that you know you'll see all the teams wrestling with this, and you need a bit of luck, I think, as well, to end up playing like either an overplayed side or an over rotated side uh, that's a bit weaker when you've got a stronger team out. Um, so we'll have to see what happens on on all of that. Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a battle that I will be grappling with in the next couple of weeks, and we will be right there with them uh, with pods after every uh, after every game. Hopefully, a little bit more positive and, and uplifting than uh, than this week's. Um, but I want to say a massive thank you to my co-host Alex and James for joining me once again. Thank you to everybody uh, who sent in three word reviews that ultimately we didn't get round to. So apologies about that. We promise that won't happen again. Uh, and thanks to everyone who engaged with uh, the. Uh, the Simpsons memes that I was posting on Friday night whilst uh, whilst we were watching the game as it uh, gave me a bit of life watching a, an otherwise very lifeless performance from uh, from Sale. Uh, so, yeah, so big thank you to, to everyone. Uh, thank you to, to you guys for joining me. Um, and Alex James, is there anything you want to uh, to sign off with? No, nothing from me. Just thanks to you, Lewis, as well. And uh, hopefully we go into Exeter and we've sorted out all the issues we've just talked about. <laughs> nothing from me and good to have the stats back. 